0: If you've never seen the HBO series called Band of Brothers, it's about Easy Company and their mission in World War II. And this company, along with many other soldiers in World War II, paid the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, they were willing to endure the greatest of inconveniences and discomforts and injuries and uh, torture and even life Itself, they were willing to pay whatever the cost, whatever it meant, for the sake of their mission and to defeat their enemy to liberate people on the other side of the world, to push back an enemy that was so dark and evil, they were looking to take over the world, exterminate the Jews and people, a part of the greatest generation our country has ever known, were willing to go to the other side of the world to fight this enemy as soldiers, to fight for freedom in our country. And you may not have realized this, but... Oftentimes the New Testament writer, specifically Paul, will refer to being a disciple or equate being a disciple of Jesus to being a good soldier. Watch this. This is what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. He said this, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather the soldiers try to please his commanding officer. Paul tells Timothy, join me in following Jesus and being willing to suffer for Jesus as a good soldier. And so as soldiers for Christ, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus It's a disciple. If you're a disciple of Jesus, a a follower, then the call for you and I is to be good soldiers, just like Paul called Timothy to be a good soldier for Christ. And as good soldiers, we have a commanding officer. Our commanding officer, Paul says, is Christ Jesus. And we should live as soldiers of Christ Jesus. We should live to please him. To carry out the mission that our commanding officer has given us. So what's the mission? We've got a commanding officer, it's Jesus, and he's given us a, a mission. So what's the mission? Well, before Jesus left this planet and ascended back to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, in Matthew 28, he told his disciples, his soldiers, he gave them standing orders for this life on earth. And he said, you will go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I will be with you always. Acts 1.8 records Jesus saying, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what's interesting about the word that Jesus used there in the Greek in Acts 1.8 for for witnesses, it's the Greek word martyrs, which is where we get the word martyr. In other words, what Jesus was saying is you're going to go and be my witnesses. A good soldier is going to go and be my witness to the ends of the earth, regardless of the cost. Like even if it costs you your life, you will be my witness. That's what a good soldier does. They obey their commanding officer's mission orders that they've been given. So we've got a commanding officer. We've got a mission. Well, as soldiers, then you would think we have an enemy. So who's our enemy? Well, most Christians would probably say, well, our, our greatest enemy is Satan. And yes, he is an enemy of the mission of Jesus. He's our enemy. He's looking to take you out and destroy you. Some people would say uh, our, our enemy are people who, are, uh, who don't believe the same way, like they're, they're non-believers. And we see Christians, especially in our country, treating people who don't follow Jesus like they're actually the enemy when they're not. But we see that every day in the way people talk to other people or or talk about people who don't follow Jesus as if they are the enemy when they're when they're not. The greatest enemies to the mission of Jesus might surprise you. Because you see, while Satan is a great enemy, the Bible says that. If we're in Christ and Christ is in us, we're followers of Jesus, then greater is he that's in us than any power that's in this world. So we've got a power inside of us that's greater than Satan himself. So we have nothing to fear when it comes to him because the power inside of us is greater than any power that's in this this world. So I'm not quite sure that Satan is actually our greatest enemy. What I would submit to you tonight and in this series, that there are three enemies that are the greatest enemies of the mission of Jesus and they're all inside me. And they're all inside you. They're all inside every follower of Jesus. And so in this series, we're gonna address the three greatest enemies to the mission of Jesus. The consumer, the comfortable, and the coward. Now, I'm going to warn you, this series is going to be difficult. It just is. It's going to be hard. Christians say it's convicting. That's the word that we tend to use. It's the word from the scripture that basically means when the Holy Spirit kind of confronts us with something in our life that doesn't measure up to God's word or to the life of a disciple. And a lot of times what we do and we're convicted by something like when the word of God speaks to something in our life that's not right or doesn't measure up to God's word or to God's standard. What Christians will do sometimes is is run from that conviction rather than embrace the conviction and say, no, God, your word is true. My life is, is in, I'm in sin. I need to repent and adjust my life to be more in line with your word. But oftentimes what we try to do is lower God's standard in his word to meet our lifestyle so that we don't feel so bad about our lives or, or our sin. And we begin to change God's word and, and, and mold it and make it like and fashion it, it to meet the, the, the standard of our life rather than repent of sin and begin to follow God's word and his truth. So I'm gonna warn you, this series is going to be hard. It's been hard for me preparing it. And that's what God's word does. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 that all scriptures God breathe, which means all scripture is inspired by God. And then he said this, it's useful for correction and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. God's word does all these things in our lives. It convicts us. It corrects us. It rebukes us. It shows us what's wrong in our lives. But then by the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the ability to change, to turn from our sin and follow Jesus, so this series will be hard and I will challenge you throughout this series. Embrace the conviction, don't run from it, embrace the conviction and say, God, help me to change by the power of your Holy Spirit. Change my heart, change my life so that my life looks more like the life of Christ because I'm a follower of Jesus. I want my life to look more like him. I'm a disciple. So this series is going to be hard. It's going to be convicting. I can promise you that. And tonight, we're going to look at this first enemy that's in my heart, and I believe is in the heart of every follower of Jesus. This first enemy to the cause of Christ. The mission of Jesus. And this first enemy that we're going to look at is the consumer. The consumer. Now, in any healthy relationship, you consume and contribute. Right? I mean, that's a healthy relationship. There's give and take an unhealthy relationship is where you only consume, you only take and you never contribute. And we see this true with families and and friends. And for you guys who are in college now, this is definitely true in a dating relationship as well. A healthy dating relationship, you will see consuming and contributing like giving and taking. If you're in a relationship, you know it's an unhealthy relationship. If the relationship is one sided, that's an unhealthy relationship. If all the person ever does that you're dating just takes from you and consumes from you in the relationship and never gives back and never contributes to the relationship, that's an unhealthy relationship and you are in danger. You need to run because that is not the recipe for a good marriage. It's the recipe for a very bad marriage. So in any healthy relationship, healthy dating, healthy marriage, there's give and take, there's consuming and contributing. Now the same thing is true with your relationship to the body of Christ, the church. A healthy relationship with the body of Christ is one in which you consume, you receive and you contribute, you give back. That's a healthy relationship. And some of us don't have, I think if we're honest, some of us don't have a very good relationship, a healthy relationship with the church, the body of Christ. Because all we do is consume from the body of Christ and receive from the body of Christ. But we don't contribute. We don't give back to the body of Christ. And that's a problem. We've got an unhealthy Relationship Now, most of us, especially today in our world, in our country, we live as if this is the key to life. I'm going to consume. I want more and more and more. Give me, give me, give me, take, 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 receive, receive, receive. We think this is the key to joy. If I have more or if my circumstances change, then I'll be happy. If I could only have this, then I would be happy. Consume, consume, consume. And I think what you're going to find tonight is that God will show you and tell you, I pray that joy is actually found right here. It's in contributing. Like Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. So, so where do we find this? Where do we find this idea that there's actually more joy here than there is here? That it's better to contribute than it is to consume. And like Jesus said, it's better to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If you got your Bible, go to Philippians chapter two. If you don't have a Bible or whether you do or not, you can also go on your phone, on your web browser, raiderchurch.com, click message notes, follow along with us, the verses and the points are everything there for you. You can fill in the blank and then email yourself the notes later. It's really cool. It'll change your life, I promise. So, So fill in the blank, take notes as we go, but let's go Philippians chapter two and let's see what Paul says about contributing as a good soldier of Jesus. Philippians two, verse 17, here's what he says. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, Paul says. Pouring it out like a liquid offering. Now we're gonna stop there for a second to make sure you understand what a liquid offering is. Okay, in the old covenant, when you would bring a sacrifice for your sin, most oftentimes like a, a perfect spotless lamb, you would bring this lamb and it would be slaughtered. Its blood would be shed to take the wrath of God for your sin. It would die in your place for your sin, so that God did not kill you for your sin, so that he didn't have to pour out his wrath on you. God made a way in the old covenant for there to be a sacrifice that would die in your place for your sin. And sometimes, often, you would pour what was called a liquid offering over the sacrifice that was dying in your place for your sin. Oftentimes that was wine. And it was another way of showing, this animal is dying in my place for my sin, and I am pouring this offering out again as a sacrifice to God, something that costs me. That's why I was often wine, something that was expensive, something that was valuable. I'm gonna pour this out as a sacrifice on top of the sacrifice that's dying in my place for my sin. And so Paul says, I'm pouring my life out like this liquid offering, like the sacrifice To God, just like he says, your faithful service is an offering. It's a sacrifice. It's a cost that you pay in laying yourself down and serving other people for God's sake, for his kingdom. He says, your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you, he says, to share in this joy. Paul says, pouring myself out for Christ. Even laying my life down for Christ, my faithful service, your faithful service to Christ. Here's what Paul says. It's all joy. It's a joy. And so here's the first thing I want you to see about contributing as a good soldier for Christ is that joy is actually found in the pouring out. Joy is found in the pouring out, in the contributing, not in the consuming. Joy isn't found by pouring in and in and in, take, 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 Mind, mind, mind. consume, consume, consume. That's not where joy is found. Paul says joy is found. Actually, it's the opposite. Like Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Joy is found in the pouring out of giving myself for Jesus and for his people. Joy is found in the faithful service of God and his church, Paul says. That's where joy is found. I mean, it's no wonder Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to take up your cross, die to yourself and follow me. And then he says this for whoever wants to save their life like consume will lose it. Whoever's trying to save their life and consume all they can in this life for themselves, they'll actually lose it. But Jesus said this, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, will find true life. Like in other words, whoever lays their life down, who pours themselves out for my sake, they'll find and experience true, real life. That's where joy is found, Jesus is saying. It's not found in consumption. A life of consumption will only consume your life. It chokes the life out of you. It sucks the life right out of you. Joy is found in pouring yourself out. In fact, Jesus, in one of the many parables, he shared about this seed that was sown in all these different soils. Some of you may be familiar with the story I'm talking about he talks about the seed that's sown on this soil where there's a, where there's thorns. And so the, the, it receives the, the seed, but the thorns, Jesus said, choke out the seed and the plants that was planted and the life that began to spring up, the, the thorns choke it out and kill it. And Jesus said that represents the person who receives the, the word of God, receives the, the gospel, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. You see, even Jesus said a life of consumption, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Give me, give me, give me more, more, more will choke out the very life that you so desperately seek the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of all, the consumption, the quest of consumption, the irresistible desire to achieve more and get more. Jesus is saying, it's gonna choke the life right out of you. That just sucks life, it doesn't breathe life. I mean, even Paul said this in Philippians 1, Verse 22, he said, but if I live, like if I'm gonna go on living, watch what he says. It means I can do more fruitful work for Christ. This is the passion of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus. I wanna do more work for Christ. That's why Jesus in that same parable, he said the seed that fell on good soil, it bore fruit, it bore a harvest 30, 60 and 100 times what was originally sown into it. That's the life of a disciple. Receiving the word, receiving the gospel and then living a life of fruitfulness for God's glory. And Paul says, that's where joy is found. Joy is not found in consuming money or stuff, wealth, power, material things. Joy is found in pouring yourself out. Secondly though, here's where joy is found. Joy is found in pouring together. Joy is found in pouring yourself out But did you notice that Paul said, I want all of you to share in this joy? Like, I want you to share in this joy with me. Like, join me in suffering and living for Jesus as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I want you to share in this joy. Joy is found in pouring ourselves out together for the cause of Christ. In fact, Paul would say in Philippians 1, again, verse 27 he said, you are, when I come and visit you, here's what I hope and expect to find. This is what he tell, what he's telling the Philippians, that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Paul said, when I come to you, Philippians, here's what I hope and I expect to find. That you're fighting and standing together for the cause of Christ. Like soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder fighting together in the battle with one mission, one spirit, one purpose. Doing it together. That's where joy is found. It's found in pouring yourself out together with other followers of Jesus. Standing together with other followers of Jesus. Faithfully serving God and his church, his kingdom. That's where joy is found, Paul said. And this right here, this is the church. This is what the church is supposed to look like. Soldiers of Jesus Christ standing together with one purpose for the cause of Christ. This is what the church is supposed to look like. You see, church is not a a building or a place you go to. It's a people that you belong to. Church is a people that you're standing together with, fighting side by side with for the cause of Christ. That's church. But the longer that we remain together, Consumers, And then everybody kind of starts out there. When you first give your life to Jesus, you kind of start out as a consumer. You're receiving, uh, you're, 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 you're consuming God's word and, and, and receiving from the church, the body of Christ, so that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus and start taking steps in this new relationship with Jesus. You're kind of figuring everything out. You, you start out consuming. okay. But the longer that you stay there, the more comfortable you get consuming, because consuming is very deceptive. But the more comfortable you get consuming, and the further and further away we get from this, where we end up with a church that looks nothing like this, nothing like what we see in the book of Acts, nothing like what we see in the New Testament. The longer we remain consumers, the further and further away we get from this. This That's why as soon as possible, when you start following Jesus, you've got to start contributing because you'll get real comfortable. And we'll talk about that next week, but you start getting real comfortable. And we start as a group, like as a corporate body, we start looking less and less like this and more and more and more like a country club where you just kind of show up each week and, drink your coffee and leave none the different. You just show up, receive from a service, you leave and that's your church experience. That's consuming, that's not contributing. And the longer that we remain consumers, the worse off we are, the worse off the body of Christ is. And sometimes it helps like to have an outside perspective, like, because sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you can't really see the forest for the trees. And so sometimes it helps to like have an outsider kind of like speak into something and kind of show you maybe how far you've gone. Some of you are familiar with a pastor by the name of Francis Chan and uh, Francis Chan was a very popular uh, speaker and author uh, here in our country, and he resigned from his church in Simi Valley, California, and he was traveling the world and and, and seeing what the church looked like in other countries, and he spent some time in China with the underground house church movement there, and they're underground because of persecution, and so they don't meet publicly. Uh, They meet in, in hiding, in secret, and he was spending some time over there, and began to talk with some of the pastors over there about the dynamics and just the DNA and and what he was experiencing in this underground house church movement. And here's what he had to say in his book, uh, Letters to the Church. He said, I was participating in the underground gathering in China, in this underground gathering. He said, young people were praying so passionately, begging God to send them to the most dangerous of places. They were actually hoping to die as martyrs. I'd never seen anything like it. I still can't get over the fearless passion for Jesus, this church and body, as they shared stories of persecution. I sat in amazement and asked for, for more and more stories. After a while, they asked why I was so intrigued. And I told them the, the church in America was nothing like this. I can't tell you how embarrassing it was to try to explain to them that people attend 90-minute services once a week in buildings, and that's what we call church. I told them how people switch churches if they find better teaching, more exciting music, or more robust programs for their kids. As I described church life in America, they began to laugh. Not just small chuckles, they were laughing hysterically. I felt like a stand-up comedian, but I was simply describing the American church as I've experienced it. They found it laughable that we could read the same scriptures they were reading and then create something so incongruent and consumeristic. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, that should bother you to your absolute core. It should disturb you. It does me. To think that people we should be standing together side by side with fighting for the cause of Christ would laugh at what the American church has become is disturbing to me, especially as a pastor, but it should disturb you as a follower of Jesus. And I share this with you because as you graduate college and you find a church, plug into, whether that ends up being here in Lubbock or somewhere else, you will be the next leaders of our church and it will be on you to help change this dynamic. It just is, it's on all of us, but as you graduate from college and you start Attending, going to to churches and getting plugged into the life of, of church as a follower of Jesus should. It will be on you. It's on us to change this dynamic, to be so bothered by this in our spirit that we desire something so much more and so much different than what our church in America has grown accustomed to. I hope this disturbs you, it bothers you, like it does me. And it drives you to do something different and to help the church become something different than it has become in our country. You see, we have got to understand, if, we're gonna, if this is gonna change, we, we've got to understand the difference between consumers and contributors. We, we've got to understand this difference. Here's a few ways to help us parse this out. Consumers choke the cause of Christ. Like Jesus said, right? The Christian who's consumed with the worries of this life, wealth and power and material things, all these kinds of stuff, that just chokes out the word that's inside the Christian. It chokes the life out of a Christian. And in the same way, consumers choke the cause of of Christ, but contributors champion the cause of Christ. A contributor, a, a good soldier, champions the cause of Christ in order to please his commanding officer, his Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a contributor does. They, they champion the cause of Christ. Next, the consumer says, it's all about me. While the contributor says it's about him and them. See the difference there? The consumer says it's all about me. It's all about receiving and, and taking and consuming. It's all about me and what's best for me. But the contributor, the good soldier of Jesus Christ says, no, it's all about him, his glory, and it's all about them because they need to know about Jesus. It's all about him and them. Next, the consumer says it's only about pouring into me. It's just about me and my relationship with Jesus pour into me, give me, feed me, pour in to me. While the contributor says, no no no, it's about pouring out for others. I'm going to pour myself out for the cause of Christ. The contributor says, I will do what it takes to advance the cause of Christ. Uh, Whatever the inconvenience, whatever the discomfort, whatever the cost, whatever it takes for the cause of Christ. Now I want to get a little bit more specific. What does it look like here? Like at Raider Church to be a contributor? What what does that look like, like right here? So number one, that's party together. Now I know you're probably like, what? We've been talking about dying for Jesus. And now you're talking about partying together. Like those two things aren't congruent. They they don't match up. Well, when we say party together, here's what we mean. This is the the values of our church. Here's what we mean. We, We mean we celebrate who God is, what he's done for us. And it means we enjoy each other's company. So when we come together in large groups and small groups, we party together, like it says in Acts 2, by enjoying each other's company, eating and hanging out and having fun, having fellowshipping together, getting to know one another, connecting, connected to one another. And in Acts 2, it says they enjoyed each other's company. And we see all throughout the scripture, celebrations and festivals and parties. And even Jesus went to to wedding banquets and dinner parties and, and hung out with people, had fun with people. But then we also in large groups and small groups, we celebrate, we party because of who God is and what he's done for us. It's worth celebrating, it's worth partying. And a lot of us don't take this as serious as we we should. Here's what I mean by this. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says that we're not supposed to give up meeting together as some people do, but we're supposed to encourage each other each and every day. So don't give up meaning together, other, but encourage one another towards love and good deeds and following Jesus each and every day. That's what it says in Hebrews 10. And when we don't meet together, if we're really committed to following Jesus, here's what we typically do. I missed, and because I missed, I didn't get poured into and I didn't. I, I, I missed that, that message. And so here's what we typically do. If we're really committed, we'll watch or listen up to a podcast back. We'll watch the, the live stream back because we missed out. And so I need to receive what I missed out on by not being there that, that night or, or, or that day or at that, that small group. You see, even our... Absence we view through a consumeristic lens. We we only view our absence through what it cost us, what we missed out on. But what if your absence is way more than what you missed out on? What if your absence, your commitment, like to being together with the body of Christ, like to party together? What if your absence is about way more than what you missed? What if it's about what we missed because of your absence? You see some people, and you've been here before, some people come in here and all they can do is get themselves in the door. I I can't tell you how many students I've talked to that have come here and and they've sat in a parking lot and, and praying and crying about whether or not to even walk into this place because They're they're, they're struggling so bad, they're not sure they can even open the door and walk through the parking lot to the front door to get here. I mean, sometimes it's all people can do to even get out of their car and, and, and come into this place because of what's happening in their life. Because of the struggle, because of the loss, because of the anxiety, because of the depression. And sometimes it's all they can do is just walk into this place. They're not ready to sing yet. You're not ready to pray yet. And so sometimes, your singing isn't just about you. Sometimes you're here and receiving God's word and, and praying and worshiping. Some, some, sometimes it's, a lot, it's about a lot more than just you. Sometimes you're singing for the person who can't sing. Sometimes you're receiving for the person who's struggling to receive. Sometimes you're, you're praying for the person who, who can't quite get there yet, but by seeing you worship and receive God's word and pray and do all these things, they're encouraged. So sometimes you're worshiping, you're praying, you're engaging for the person who's here and can't quite do that yet. I'm not talking about a religious thing here. What I'm talking about is not giving up meeting together. Some people do because there's something about us being together and worshiping together that you can't do through a screen. There's something about us being together and worshiping together and praying together and that encourages others. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together. You've got to come together. You've got to be together so that we can encourage one another. You see, I need you more than maybe you ever realized and you need each other more than you you ever could have possibly realized. And when you miss Gathering together with the body of Christ like some people do. You're not able to encourage other people. And we need you to encourage us. And like Hebrews 10 says, to spur us on towards love and good deeds and to following Jesus. And so a contributor is devoted to partying together. Next, a contributor is devoted to discovering together. And what we mean by discovering is discovering God in his word. You see, sometimes I'm not hearing from God through his word or or, or something's not making sense to me. And what God says to you through his word will challenge me and will encourage me and speak to me. You see, God wants to speak to you through his word. And sometimes it's just not about what you're going to receive from God's word, but as God speaks to you and you share with other people about what God's speaking to you and what you've discovered in God's word, they discover God in his word through you. So we discover together, large groups, small groups, especially as we read the scripture together and we're talking about it. A contributor's discovering God together in community with other followers of Jesus. And they're receiving the word from other people and they're giving words to other people that they receive through God's word. And in doing so, we're, Learning about God together. We're discovering God and hearing him speak to us together. Third, we obey together. A contributor is is obeying God together with other followers of Jesus. You see, I need you and, and you need me and we need each other to obey Christ, to turn from sin and to live for him. And when I hear you talking about the sin that you're praying you want to turn from, And when I hear you talking about the things that God's leading you to do and the ways that you've obeyed him or stepped out in faith, then it encourages me to do the same thing. It's in small groups, especially we call them raider groups, where we obey together with accountability that every single one of us needs to continue following Jesus. Why in Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves together together to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread into prayer. They devoted themselves like they were devoted together to following Jesus. We, we need each other to obey God's word. Fourth, we pray together. Let me ask you this. How can you pray for someone that you never see? Now, today we'll say, In a text or in a Facebook comment or Instagram comment or whatever, we'll we'll say, hey, praying for you, right? I mean, we might tell someone we're, we're praying for them, and that's great. But let me ask you this. When's the last time you had your hand on a shoulder praying out loud for someone and what they were going through? When's the last time? Think about it, just in your mind. When's the last time I had my hand on someone's shoulder and I was praying out loud right there in the moment about what was going on in their life? You see, that says a lot about whether you're a consumer or a contributor. Because when you read through the New Testament, you read through the book of Acts, people are constantly getting together to pray. In fact, in Acts 1, it says they they were constantly coming together to, to pray. They were lifting their voices together in prayer. If you're never lifting your voice together in prayer with other followers of Jesus, something is drastically wrong. If you're never putting a hand on someone's shoulder and praying for them right there in the moment about what they're going through, something is drastically wrong. You've got an unhealthy relationship with the body of Christ. You're consuming, but you're not really in a position to contribute because you don't really know someone well enough to know what's going on in their life or to put a hand on their shoulder and to pray for them. Contributors pray together. They pray for each other. And then finally, contributors are on mission together. They're serving and giving and making disciples together, whatever it takes to complete the mission that Jesus has given us. Contributors are on mission together. They're pouring themselves out together for the cause of Christ. So here's some examples like right here at, at Raider church. I want to give you some examples of people who are contributing here week in and week out people like Shelby Edwards and Andrew Maloney, Maggie Finoglio. I don't even know if I said that right, but uh, I said it too fast. And her fiance Weston, Chase Castaneda, Kaylin uh, Gwaltney, Kendall Niles, Kristen Sindel, Kelsey Holt, and Isaiah are here almost every week, volunteering, leading groups, doing whatever it takes so that Raider Church can happen. They're contributing. But let's back up to 1970 in the former Soviet Union. There's a guy by the name of Nikolai Kamara and Nikolai Kamara was in a communist prison, but he happened to be in a cell with some people who called themselves Christians. And Nikolai began to realize that there was something different about these people in this prison cell. Like they loved each other and they would take like food and water and give it to the person who was in need or or who was sick. And he noticed something different about them. That they were willing to give of themselves for the other person. Or when he was struggling, they would, they would give some of their food. They weren't, it wasn't just about consuming and, and, and taking mine and what I'm owed and what I deserve. They, they would give to him in his time of need. And they began to share the gospel with him and Nikolai gave his life to Christ. Well, after he gets out of prison, he goes and finds a church. But it's an underground church because the Christians in the Soviet Union in 1970 were persecuted by the KGB. They'd be thrown in prison, they'd be tortured and killed for their faith in Christ. And so Nikolai joins this church and they're making disciples together and they're printing these gospel booklets and and they're distributing them. But The KGB is after him. They arrested Nikolai again and his pastor of this church that he had joined. And as they tortured them, They were asking for the names of the other church members. They were asking for the names of the people that were printing and distributing these gospel booklets. But neither Nikolai nor his pastor would share the names. And so they tortured them. But when they realized it wasn't working, they brought Nikolai Kamara in front of his pastor and told the pastor that if he didn't talk, they would torture Kamara right in front of him. This new believer that had just joined his church. And so here's what the pastor asked. He asked Kamara, what should I do? And Kamara said to his pastor, be faithful to Jesus and do not betray him. I'm happy to suffer for the name of Christ. The captain in the KGB said, we will gouge out Kamara's eyes. And the torturers picked up a knife and started toward Kamara. The pastor couldn't bear it and he cried out to Kamara, how can I look at this? You will be blind. Kamara replied, with my eyes or when my eyes are taken away from me, I will see more beauty than I see with these eyes. I will see the savior. You remain faithful to Christ to the end. When he had finished, seeing that the pastor had not yet given them the information they wanted, the captain turned to the pastor again and said, if you do not betray your church, we will cut out Kamara's tongue. And in despair, the pastor cried out, what should I do? Kamara's last words were, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. There, I've said it. The highest words that can be said. Now, if you wish, you can cut out my tongue. And Kamara died a martyr's death. Now let's roll the clock back about 1900 years to the first martyr, Stephen. Stephen starts out as what the Bible refers to as a deacon, a servant. You see, there were some widows in Acts chapter six were are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food and, and, and they were upset and they were complaining. And, and so the disciples decide, Hey, we've got to find some people that are full of the Holy spirit that love Jesus and will faithfully serve in this ministry. And Stephen was chosen for this ministry. And so Stephen gets his start serving food to widows who were in need. Well, as Stephen continues to, to serve God, he begins to preach and he's told to stop preaching about the name of Jesus by the religious authorities. They tell him, quit talking about Jesus. They arrest him. They, they beat him. He's brought on trial and he continues to preach about Jesus. And so they stone Stephen to death. But while they're stoning him, Stephen looks up into heaven and he says this, I see the son of man standing In heaven, right now. You see, the Bible says that when Jesus ascended to heaven, that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But in this vision that Stephen has, he sees Jesus standing almost as if Jesus was telling Stephen, Man, I'm proud of you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done honoring the sacrifice that Stephen was paying for the cause of Christ. Now, why do I tell you these stories? Why, why, why do I tell you about these people who've given their life for Jesus that are serving Jesus? It's because this is where we come from. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is who we are. These are the people that we come from. This is our DNA. Not this casual Christianity that we've grown accustomed to in our country. This is where we come from. People who have been willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for the cause. Christ, This is where we come from. And make no mistake, follower of Jesus, you will see these people in heaven for all eternity. And you will hear their stories and countless other stories of people who have been standing together, fighting for the cause of Christ, willing to pay whatever the cost. You will see these people and you will hear their stories for all of eternity. But then they will look right back at you and they will say, brother, sister, tell me Your story. What's your story gonna be? I hope you have one. I want a story to tell. And we're doing this series because I want you to have a story to tell. What will your story be? That you got comfortable in the consuming, comfortable American church that we've grown accustomed to? like Paul and Stephen, Nikolai Kamara and so many others all throughout church history? Will your story be that you lived for Christ, for the cause of Christ? What will your story be? I hope you hear God calling you tonight to stand together with him to stand together, shoulder to shoulder, side by side with these people fighting together for the cause of Christ. I hope that will be your story. Will you stand with them? Will you stand with us? And, and if so, I, I wanna challenge you to do something Go to RaiderChurch.com and take some of those first steps. Start volunteering. Get plugged into a group. Don't just consume, come here and, and leave and not join the fight. Stand together with us for the cause of Christ in this city, on your campus, in this time. Carrie Job wrote a song called The Cause of Christ. And the lyrics go like this, she wrote this, for this cause I live, for this cause I die. I surrender all for the cause of Christ. All I once held dear, I will leave behind. For my joy is this, oh, the cause of Christ. It is not fame that I desire, nor stature in my brother's eye. I pray it's said about my life that I lived more to build your name than mine. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that in this moment, by your spirit, you would help us to see why we should live this kind of life. That in the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, that we live, those of us who now live in Christ, would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. That in the words of the old hymn, we would behold the man upon the cross, our sin upon his shoulders. And we would say, you, Jesus, are worth it. Teach our hearts to say and to sing, Jesus, you are worth it. It's in your name we pray.